You know, I really appreciate it when gifted people use their gifts for the glory of God. Don't you? These guys love God, and it shows. Thank you so much. Man, that is so fun. What a touching song. That We should save that for Mother's Day, huh? It's powerful. Danny, you'll have to come back Mother's Day and sing that again. How you doing? You look good. Are you thankful for the warm-up? Man, it's nice to go outside and breathe and not frostbite your tongue. You know, it's just like, wow, it's been cold. We're not quite used to that. But we're so glad you're here and uh, delighted to have you with us. Whether it's your first time you've been here for years, we really do welcome you. And uh, we are in a kind of a little three-week series, and this is going to wrap it up to launch the year. The first weekend of the year, I talked to you about our 2011 theme, which is uh, Together for the Journey. And then last weekend, what a masterful job, Pastor Dick Foth. Man, I love it. I love listening to him speak. Talked about what it means to be together. And from the beginning, clear back to Genesis and the journey that we're on together. So we have a lot of great days ahead this year as a church, as individuals. And today, I would like to really clarify some things for our year. I also want to really personally challenge you in some areas of your life. If you'll let me speak into your personal life. Um, I I believe God can use this message to really inspire and challenge you because it's the Word of God, and the Word of God does that in our lives. And so on the back of the bulletin, you can follow along. Now, the subtitle of this message, when when we were putting all this together for 2011, we have these little mini retreats where we plan out our weekends for the whole year. And um, it was our teaching team, Pastor Jeff and Rob and Dick and myself. And when we got to this message, because I was speaking it, I said, I'm kind of feeling like the title is going to be, uh, because G-O-D, God, I want it to be two-thirds of God is go. Because it's kind of an action call, you know, and you think of, think of it like that. Two-thirds of God is go. And Dick both kind of looked up at me, and, and the only way that he can do it, he kind of, his eyebrows kind of went up, and he said, if you think about that, two-thirds of God is also odd. <laughs> the more I thought about that, I thought, that's pretty good, because if you've walked with God very long, you know there are some odd moments with God. Would you agree? So whether you're in that odd place in your journey with God, or whether you're in that go mode of really feeling like there's energy and empowerment to make a difference, um, walking with God is what matters most. On the back of the bulletin, follow along. I'm going to read some of my favorite scriptures today. But the first point is this, the decision. To take the journey. As we focus on the word journey today, I just want to give you three or four components that are going to make that journey happen and meaningful. So the first one is the decision to take it. And Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. They're a little confused about some things. Some people are quitting the race. And Paul is trying to inspire them forward. And in chapter 9, verse 24, he says... Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? He's, he's using this visual because the Corinthian games, like our Olympics, were held there. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. See the difference? He's saying, hey, that stuff goes away. But the race we're in, it really matters that we get this right. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. 
I, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. You know, I'm inspired by athletes, um, some pro athletes, but mostly I'm inspired by people like you who develop disciplines in their life. We have a, a couple in our church. Many of you know them, Don and Virginia Massey. They've served in leadership roles here for year, years. And I, I called them and said, can I just share part of your your story? Because they made a commitment several years ago. They run five miles a day, six days a week, no matter what. They just do it. And I said, how do you do that? And she said, this is interesting. She said, you know what the hardest part is? She says, just getting my shoes on. And I thought a lot about that. Because she said, making that commitment starts with getting my shoes on. Once my shoes are on, I'm, I'm already doing it. That's about a decision. I'm, I'm putting my shoes on and I'm going to do this. Last year, they ran, in 2010, they ran 1,225 miles. They cycled 1,635 miles. And this year, she's celebrating her 66th birthday. That's pretty commendable, isn't it? Don in Virginia, uh, way to go. It's inspiring. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm for that. But here's the, here's the question. I told you that story for this reason. What's the difference between a decision about something versus just a good thought about it? Like, um, you know, when Bonnie says to me, Derry, are you going to clean your closet? And I say, yeah, I'm going to. Yep. When? I don't know, but I'm going to. Maybe after the garage, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? But if I say Saturday or if I say Friday morning, then I've made a decision to get in there and do it. And this is about making a decision in our lives. These are very important that we say, I'll make a decision about my journey with God. The second thing you notes is this, preparing for the journey. Once I decide, the next step is preparing. And there are a lot of ways we prepare for the journey. So I've pulled a passage where Paul is actually challenging young Timothy. He's a young minister. And so you teenagers, young people, young adults, listen to what Paul is, is saying to inspire this young man to be faithful to God. First Timothy 6.11. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. Because some of them were kind of calling him the boy. Okay, You are a man of God, Paul says. So run from all these evil things. Look at all the verbs in this passage. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the, the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have confessed so well before so many witnesses. When I, when I look at Paul, he uses things like run from evil things. And I want to challenge you with this this year. Because here's why. Evil is chasing you. And you might be like, I don't see it. <laughs> it's chasing you. It's amazing how many people, when they say, how did I get to this place? I'll tell you how, it got, how you ended up there is that, that place back there when that little seed of temptation was put into your mind and you didn't run from it. You, you messed around with it. And it got a little hook in you and you messed around with it some more. That's why Paul's saying, look, run. 
No, don't try to define it. Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to describe it. Don't even get a good look at it. Just run from it. Will I run from evil this year? Big, I think it's huge. And then he says, pursue righteousness and a godly life. What am I pursuing? I think the two gauges, maybe three, for asking and figuring out what I'm pursuing is my time, for sure. Where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my money? And where do I use my brain power? I think those three really do gauge what it is I'm pursuing. Then he says, um, you know, fight the good fight. And some people like to fight. It's just not the good fight they're fighting. Fight the good fight. And then he says, hold tightly to eternal life. Paul's trying to put a distinction between what is just temporary that you hold on to. Because our culture is all about grabbing, grabbing more, 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 more. And he's saying, no, hold on to the things that are eternal. The other day, I was in the grocery store behind this precious mom holding this little boy who's probably between one and two years old. And full of life. I mean, this kid, she tried to let him down. No, he wanted to be held. So she picked him up. No, he wanted down. So she picked him up. Then he wanted to stay there. And then he was, she was putting her stuff on the little, uh, you know, the, the conveyor belt thing that goes in the checkout stand. So he's looking at me. And he's making faces, you know, and having fun. And I'm smiling at him. And she leaned back to put the cart around. And he, on this, you know how they have those rows of candy? He saw a perfect opportunity to grab a candy bar. And he just reached out and grabbed the candy bar. She didn't know it. She was looking this way. And he's just reaching right around me to grab this candy bar. He gets a hold of it. And, and, um, and he puts it right in his mouth. And, and it's, it's still in the wrapper. And I'm just standing there going, okay, I don't, I don't know what to do about this. And, and, uh, and finally, I started laughing. And she pulled the child around and saw the candy bar. And she's like, oh, honey, no, you can't have that. The fight was on. Okay? It was on. I, I, you talk about holding on. This kid had a grip. I mean, and he would not let go. She ended up having to buy the candy bar because they totally destroyed it. But she did get it away from him. She did. Go, Mom. She got it away from him. But I'll tell you, it was a picture for me of how you hold on to something. There's a tenacious desire in my life to say, I want to hold on to the things that are eternal, what matters most. All the other stuff can burn. But I'm not going to let go of that stuff that's eternal. Think about that in your goal setting. Number three, your personal journey. I want to talk about this for a minute. Because in a minute, I'm going to talk about us, big picture, corporate stuff. But for a minute, let me just pry into your life and challenge you with some of your personal goals this year. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and he says this really inspiring thing in chapter 3, verse 12. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. He's trying to say, look, I know I'm not there yet. And I love that about Paul because a lot of people kind of put him up there next to God. And he's saying, no, I'm not there yet. But I focus on this one thing. Now, look at what he focuses on. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Three words that are going to change your year. I press on to reach the end of the race. It's not about just starting. To reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. When he, you know, when he says, look, I know where I'm really at. I've not reached perfection. May I just suggest to you in your personal life this year that you own it 
the truth about you. Because you will never get anywhere into your future if you lie to yourself and live in self-deception. I hear it all the time. Oh, I don't have a drinking problem. Oh, really? Let's ask some other people around you. Oh, I don't have any financial issues. Really? Oh, oh, don't talk to me. My marriage is fine. It's just him with the problem or her with the problem. Oh, really? See, when I, when I live in denial, when I have this, this thing that I've just coined transference of identity success, here's what I mean by that. Some people have a lot of success in their life in certain areas, like, like maybe four out of five things. They are successful, they're disciplined, and they're known for their discipline. And then they have this fall apart place in their life over here. But it's really easy for them to just transfer all the success they have in life over here and just cover up that big cavity. And, and, and God, this year, you know what He wants us to do? He wants us to be personally honest about where we really are. The people who God can use and who can be used by God are people who say, I have a problem. And I know it. And I need help. And so for me personally, man, I'm going after things that are weak in my life that I'm saying, I want to improve this. I need God to help me. And then he says, you know, make sure that you, you forget the past. Now, first of all, I want to say theologically, I wish that was possible, but it isn't. I wish God could put a little chip in our brain and go, delete, and you would never have the thought again. But in, in reality, we live with a record in our mind of our past mistakes. We can't undo that. And, and some of you are living with the consequence still in your life of your previous sin. But that's not what you're to dwell on. It's not what you're to dream about. You can't live in the shame of that. Get that blanket off of you. I have scars on my body from injuries, motorcycle injuries, football injuries that are going to be scars on my body forever. But it doesn't mean I have to be stuck in the sorrow of the stupid decision I made back then or whatever it was. I have a future. You have a future. And so even if you're dealing in the consequence of your sin, even today, you are forgiven. You are clean. God blots it out. Dwell on your future and get on with living. Don't let your past to take away your future. And then I make decisions based on the long haul. Paul says the end of the race. Okay, the fourth thing. I want to talk about our corporate journey for a sec. Our corporate journey. Timberline's vision. Who are we? Where are we going? Many of you have been a part of this thing for years, and thank you. Some of you are just starting. It would be good for you to hear some of this stuff. I'm going to read one verse, Acts 2.42, because I read this whole passage two weeks ago, and I actually built my whole outline around Acts 2.42. And it was the birth of the church. Remember we talked about day of Pentecost, 3,000 get saved, 5,000 get saved, the church is birthed, and this is the first record of what they did when they came together. So this is what we're supposed to be all about. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We talked about learning environments. Be a learner. And to the fellowship, koinonia, do we care about one another. And to sharing in meals, this is relationship, uh, and communion, and to prayer, to be prayerful and to pray for one another, and on and on it goes. As I looked over this year, 2011, and I, I made some goals. I have some personal goals for me as a leader. I'm talking about as a pastor, a shepherd, a friend, a husband, a dad. But my goals as it relates to Timberline, uh, out of that I put some Timberline goals down that have come out of our team and, and some strong evaluation that we're doing about Timberline right now. And I want to give you just the top ten things 
And you can't, you're not going to have time to write all these down, but don't worry about it because we're going to print them and put them in your hand and pray over them uh, in the coming months. I'm just going to read these lines. I'm not going to break them down much, but I promise you, you're going to hear um, the unveiling plan for how we're going to accomplish some of these goals. They're not in a priority set. It's just that all of these really matter, and they're on the front burner for Timberline this year. Uh, first one would be to strengthen our ties to our communities that we minister in and help solve big issues. I, I really believe, you know, mo- a lot of people don't even know we have, we have homeless teenagers in Fort Collins. And, and as a church, that's not okay with us. And pe- people say, well, well they, they choose it. Well, some of them do, but not all of them. And there are other social issues in our community. Because Timberline is here, we can make a difference. We sang the song, he's the defender of the weak, meaning God. We're going to defend some of the weak this year. We're going to be involved with um, injustice that takes place in our world. And so engaging, you'll have op- we'll talk about that. Number two is just to provide opportunity for freedom in people's lives through a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. Some of you have been a part of this on Thursday nights. We did kind of a soft launch, and now you're going to hear in the next couple of weeks uh, about what it really means. And this is for all of us. It's not just for people who have serious problems. Celebrate Recovery is for us to get a handle on being free in Christ, overcoming some of the little hang-ups, some of the issues in our life that keep holding and dragging us back. And it's to celebrate and talk about those ways forward. Number three is to bring a comprehensive plan to you for this decade. Okay, so this is like the big one about planting multi-site video venue churches across northern Colorado and possibly Wyoming. If you've been around here the last year, this is not new to you. We've talked about that. We planted Timberline Old Town. We built the South Auditorium. We are looking in Windsor, Loveland, and we really believe we are called. And you're going to hear a whole four-week explanation and vision for what this looks like and how we're going to accomplish it. Um, Number four, we're going to continue to disciple people and teach them to become self-feeders this year. We're really going to challenge you to be a self-feeder. Here's why. When people say to me, well, you know, be be it a church they came from or whatever, I'm, I'm just not being fed. I just, I really, I'm not trying to be mean about this. If you've said that, I'm not thinking about anyone in particular, I promise. But, but guess what? People who, who are fed are nursing infants. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm being honest. The church, its primary role is not to feed you. That is a consumerism mindset. We are called to be disciples that are self-feeders that put our nose in this book and do some research and fast and pray and trust God. What we are for is to come together. We are to equip you to do the work of the ministry outside these walls. That's what I'm called to do. That's what pastors are called to do. And a lot of people don't understand that. And the meism in churches is huge. And they leave if they're the least bit offended because a song they didn't know or something else happened. And I just want to say, um, this is a year when I want you to understand what it means to be a self-feeder and to be serious about discipleship in your life. I can't make that happen in 30 minutes or a Wednesday night journey service. Um, So anyway, that's really important on my heart. Number five, establish a stronger follow-up ministry for people who accept Christ. Guys, we have... Hundreds of people who find Christ at Timberline. Hundreds. And we have not done, this is a weakness, we have not done a good job in following up and connecting those people one-on-one with people who will disciple them. 
we're going to be asking some of you who are seasoned Christians, who are strong in your faith, to, to get serious about calling somebody who signs a card and says, call me. And we can't do all that, but you can. And maybe it's a 15-minute coffee just to get them going in the next level. It doesn't have to be your best friend. But it's a connection for them that helps them along, that nurses them to the place where they can go through adolescence and be a teenager and grow up into adulthood. Man, I'm talking about all these much more than I'm supposed to be. Um, I'm excited about all this. Number, number six, to give, your, give, uh, to give you training and opportunity for what we would call experiential worship and celebration of God in spirit and in truth. These worship nights are designed to linger, to wait on God, to, to just be in His presence and let Him talk to you. And, and what we do on these weekends and on Wednesday nights, it really matters. Number seven, we want to make sure that you increase your knowledge of God this year through teaching on weekends. We're a Bible-based church. We preach from the book, and it's truth, and it's empowering. On Wednesday nights, our journey service, I'll tell you, I would so encourage you, verse by verse through the book of Acts, get here if at all possible. Equip classes, small groups. Number eight, create strong environments for personal friendship and, and, and growth through small groups. We're going to do some more of those all-church studies, you know, where we build a DVD and, and we talk about it. And in your home groups, you walk through and answer questions. And I hope you'll sign up and get in a small group for those. Uh, number nine, we're going to continue to develop our five peaks. And all of our departments. We're going to really make some changes in some of our children's departments. And we're right now working through how can we have the best nursery, kids' church, kids' blast. Uh, we have a problem getting kids in and out of there, checking in and out. There's b- bottlenecks. And parents, thank you for your patience in this. But we are working on it. What does it mean to, to do that and purchase the equipment to go digital if we can and check in? And safety is a primary concern. So all of these things we're really going to make better. And then the last one is just to let love live in our world through our missional uh, heart. Going, praying, giving, being. Uh, These are the things that you're going to hear some plans as we walk forward with God. Well, how are we going to do those things? And many more. Okay, I had a a list of 28, so just say thank you that I only gave you 10. Um, But but at the the last part here, uh, see at the bottom of your bulletin, it says, true teamwork requires... I want, to, I want to walk you through, it's, it's like a wrap-up to say, if we're going to have a corporate journey, these things have to happen. These things have to be in place. I've been on teams, you've been on teams, it, it, these have to happen, they're critical. The first one is, number one, trusting others. We, we will learn to trust our teammates. You are not an island. I am not an island. I need you. You need me. We need each other. I have an example that I want to use. This is a really funny thing that happened in the last week. Um, This is an actual coffee pot that is here, uh, belongs to Timberline. And uh, I don't know, several months ago, I walked upstairs to the break room and I saw this on the very top shelf above the cabinets. Okay? I mean, out of the way. You couldn't, I'm tall so I could reach it, but I don't think, most people could have even reached it. And it has a note on it. And it says, may not work. <laughs> may not work. Now, I, I do not know who put the note on it. I do not know when this happened other than it was months ago. And I said when I walked in, it made me laugh. I said, I'm going to watch this coffee pot because I'm going to see how long it stays there with this note on it. It has not moved in months. 
See, at some point back there, someone tried to trust this coffee pot and it failed. (laughs) Do you get that idea? No one is going to use this coffee pot because when they're making coffee for a meeting or whatever, they want it to work. They can't take the chance that it may not work, right? I think some of us, you know, have a big... I've met people with a big note on their head that says, may not work. (laughs) Right? I think I've had that note on my head a few times. (laughs) May not work. You're not going to trust something that may not, it will never be used. And so, and so as, as, as we journey through these things, we're going to have to learn to trust each other. And it's not about you saying, trust me. People who say, trust me, might not be worthy of your trust. Being trustworthy allows people to trust you. There's a huge difference between, if you have to demand trust, then you're not trustworthy. If you're trustworthy, people will trust you because you'll have a record. The second thing about trust is each member needs to do their job. Um, if you're released into a ministry or if you sign up, you need to show up. You need to say, okay, I said I would do this. I'm going to do it. I need to be able to depend on that. We need to be able to count on you to do your job. There's a pick of, of crew uh, rowing, and, and it's a powerful picture because these guys are working together in sync. And if you've ever watched this sport you know that, that one mistake, one mistake. Matter of fact, I had a lady come up to me a couple of weeks ago who did this professionally or in college. And she said, one serious mistake can throw someone out of the boat. And I thought, man, that sounds like churches I know. <laughs> and we're all going along and all of a sudden you get hit with an oar in the head. And someone wounds you and they say something mean or they talk behind your back or... You didn't get whatever it was you wanted, and all of a sudden you're getting thrown out of the boat, quote, unquote. You know, can I just say, to be a team together, you're going to get wounded in this church. Somebody's going to hit you over the head with an oar. Now, hopefully they won't be trying to do that, unless you may not work or something like that. No, they're not going to be trying to. It's just the reality of doing life. Good grief. You know, some of the most frustrating times in my life have been in my marriage. But the greatest, the greatest times in my life have been in my marriage. And thank God I don't have to live with you. And you don't have to live with me. It's hard enough doing life as a church together. So what do we expect? We need to pay attention to this, you guys. You can't live offended all the time. You can't live offended when you don't get your way or something doesn't happen or you don't like that idea. There's something powerful about you saying, I'm going to do what I can do. And I'm going to trust leadership and I'm going to do the things that God's asking me to do. Number three, man, can we just stay here for a while? I am not done. (laughs) Number three, the commitment to encourage others. The, The commitment to encourage one another. I'll just make this point and move on. People who are discouraged are never good encouragers. What they're good at is finding other discouraged people. And they just end up in groups. And I just want you to do a really good check in your life about making certain that you are speaking encouraging words to people who are discouraged. Because you're an encouraging church. I told you this a couple weeks ago. This is a a, a wonderful place where people can be encouraged. Let's keep that as an umbrella over Timberline. Let's guard it. 
And when you meet a discouraged person, there's times I'm discouraged too. But let's work hard at being an encouraging church that helps people move forward. Number four, honest evaluation. I don't know that I've ever been any more serious about evaluating the ministries of Timberline than this year. We've had some pretty rough meetings in finding our weaknesses and saying, these are some things we're not doing well. We've got to change it. But honest evaluation is what makes a team better. And, and, and if I own it, if I say, you know what, I'm the weak link in that, that area. I need, I'm going to improve on that. If you can own it, say, you know what, I didn't do that. I'm sorry I didn't show up or I, I've got to get better. And, and together, that's how teams improve, is they, they own their mistakes. And number five is the effort to improve. You know, I can recognize that I need to improve, but if I don't put effort in proof, if I don't practice, if I don't pay attention, if I don't read some different materials, I'm just going to default to being the same as I always have been. And so as a church, I want us to go through this together where we say, yeah, we're going to evaluate, we're going to put effort into some of those changes, and God will help us. Pastor Rob Coles said something in a journey service that I've, I've reset it multiple times. Some of you have heard it, but it really, it really impacted me. He said, stop trying and start training. And he used the analogy of a marathon. You know, I could say, I'm going to try to run a marathon today. And I might not get very far. But what if I said, I'm going to train for a marathon today? Eventually, I would be able to run one. And so we as a church, we're training for the marathon. We're training to make it to the end. And I know what this is like. Because I live overwhelmed with, with this job. Our pastors, you you should see our meetings. Um I'm not qualified to lead this. I, I remember, I'll, I'll tell you one last story, and then, and then we'll call it quits. But I remember when this church, really, just we've been a growing church. Okay? When, when we came to this church in 1986, we came to a group of people who loved God. You guys, they loved us. They put up with us. I had never been a lead pastor before. Um, I, I was in over my head from day one, and I know that, and I admit that. But they really believed in us, and they invested in us. They still do. And I honor them. I thank them. This church owes them so much. And we started growing. And they said yes to growth. And we went to multiple services. And it, it was hard. And it was costly to our team and our workloads and how many more hours it was. And then we grew to 500 and 600 and 800. And, and I'm not a numbers guy. Okay? I don't even, I don't even, I don't say how many people were there this weekend. Or I had someone ask me, how many people were there Christmas Eve? I don't even know. I still don't know. I've never, it's never been a goal at Timberline to grow. We have never said, this is the growth goal for this year. Now, I think growth can be healthy, but I want to tell you something. Bigger church does not mean better church. Smaller church does not mean better church. Healthy church means healthy church. Right? So, so I know we have our preferences, but don't get into those little battles. It's not about the, the size of the church. It's honestly about the health. And... And we were fairly healthy, but, man, we had pockets that were tough. Well, a secretary, I was walking down the hall, and she said, Pastor Joe, I need to tell you something. It's exciting to me. It might be to you. I don't know. But this is the first month in the history of our church that we've averaged over 1,000 people in attendance. And, and this was years ago. I, I think I was 34 or 35. I was living overwhelmed. And uh, I remember going, whoa. And I walked back to my office, and I sat down in my chair. I can still feel the feelings. And I got really emotional. And, and I, I cry more than I should, but I, I said, God, I, I can't pastor a church of a thousand people. There's no way. I need to resign. I'm going to resign. I want to resign. 
I'm overwhelmed. Where is this thing going? I can't do it. I almost called my wife and said, God's asked me to resign. But but God hadn't asked me that yet. But I I really, I'm being really honest with you, I really felt like I was done. And this is what I prayed. I said, God, I believe I'm supposed to go take a smaller church because I've learned the lessons. I've learned the hard way. And believe me, I learned most everything the hard way. I hate that about me, but I do. And I, I said, I can take a smaller church and maybe help it grow. Because the church of a thousand, even back in those days, is like in the top 3% of churches in America. Just, churches just don't make it to that. And uh, people don't understand that. So I, I said, God, I've, I've fulfilled my dream. It's done. Thank you. This has been awesome. What a great ride. And God spoke to me so clearly, not audible, but almost. And it was Northrop. And when he says Northrop, <laughs> I know there's something coming. Northrop, and I wrote this down in my journal back then. I still have it. This is an exact quote of what I wrote down then. I have journeyed with you while you have fulfilled your dream. Now will you journey with me while I fulfill mine? I died that day. I, my head went on my desk. I started sobbing, and I realized that I've been working so hard for my dream. It's not about my dream. It's about obeying God. I died that day. <laughs> I've tried to resurrect myself a few times since then. <laughs> but this church is not about you. It is not about me. It's about being the bride of Christ and reaching a world that needs Him. Lord, thank You for this moment, for the vision You've put in us, for the heart that we're going to live with. We love you. God, challenge all of us to die to self, to want a journey with our dreams and yours, to be a part of the vision that you've put in our hearts. I'm asking you today, with your heads bowed, to make a decision. Make a decision that you're going to go on a personal journey with God to be a self-feeder, to go deeper with God, to give, to share. When was the last time you were so compelled by a vision you were going to sell your house to help make it happen. I don't know. I don't know that God would call you to that. But I know this. Eternal stuff is the big stuff. God's going to help us this year. I need you to say, yes, I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to be a part of this thing. Lord, thank you. We receive it. Amen. Amen. Lord, we've made a decision today. There's times when we go, and there's times when we wait. But we are partnering with you to reach our world. And I thank you for being an awesome God. We give you the glory for your church. That's what we celebrate. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I love you. I'm proud of you. Our prayer team is going to be up here. And go by Danny's table. He'll be out there.